I don't have all the answers. The only way I get them is from learning from the people around me. I've got a team that know a lot more than I do. And the moment I create a, a, a perception that I know more than them, I'm done. Hi, I'm Andrew May, and this is the NAB Business Fit Podcast, the series where we chat with experts in a range of fields, delving into their world to find out what fuels them and also to learn business tips that can be applied to running a small business, especially during these challenging times. And I'm joined again today by my colleague, Anna Marinkovic, who runs Small Business Bank at NAB. And Anna, I've got to say, you are one of the most passionate people I know in small business, but you have a passion to match, and that is tennis. Yes, I certainly do. Two passions. One is Small business. The other is tennis. Uh, my son's name is Novak. I think that's enough said. Uh, what a great segue into today's guest, who many top tennis players now say has made the Australian Open the best-run Grand Slam in the world, largely due to the changes he's brought in. He's the CEO of Tennis Australia and the director of the Australian Open. He's a father to Marlo and twin boys Archer and Weston. He's a former tennis player and coach with a huge list of achievements, some which we'll talk about today. So Craig Tiley, welcome and thank you very much for joining us today. It's great to be joining you and I think this is a fantastic initiative. So well done, Anna, and well done to Nap. We're excited. Anna's particularly excited when you get to talk about small business and tennis all together. But before we go into small business, we're asking a lot of our guests, Craig, especially right now. So timestamp this. We are in COVID. We're still in stage four restrictions in Melbourne. So I'd really like to know, how are you starting your day? What are you doing to get your body and your brain into peak shape to run Tennis Australia? Well, I'm a big believer in fresh air. So uh, the first thing in the morning, three times a day is with routine. Uh, go, now, we are limited. Uh, so I take the kids. It's just basically a walk around the block. And I've got young kids. So I, I, my twin boys are six, six years old. And so online, they've just started school. So the, the Zoom online school here in, in Victoria has been tough. Uh, and with our daughters young too. So but we just get outside, get some fresh air, and, um, and then start the day and then do the same over the lunch break and then do the same at the end of the day within the limits that we are supposed to be doing and, uh, and just making sure that you get uh, exercise, activity, even if it's walking or it's light jog, whatever it may be, but, and taking in the fresh air because that keeps your mind active and keeps you going. Mm, absolutely. And homeschooling has been a challenge for many people as well. I think we appreciate teachers more than ever. I know in New South Wales, where I live, when the kids went back to school, I just wanted to give the teachers a hug. I couldn't because of COVID, but I think you, you appreciate how much teachers do, right? They are, yeah, absolutely. They are like, they're not dissimilar to our frontline workers. And I think I've always said this, you know, since I was a kid, uh, you know, the frontline workers in all our industries should be the most, should be the highest paid and most revered. And, and, uh, and those also running small businesses, uh, the recognition that they propping up the economy and keeping us going is critical. And certainly, you know, we've learned some challenges. One thing I know I've learned personally, when I used to do these teams calls or zoom calls in the normal business environment, if someone interrupted, I was always like, you know, no, shh, move away. Don't. And now it's just a free-for-all. Anyone can come in, there's interruptions, kids join in. I had a business negotiation the other day and, and I had a kid come in and ask him where his cookies were and, uh, <laughs> and uh, just doesn't care. And so I think everyone appreciates and understands. Uh, the, that's the world important. That when you're six, yeah. that's one of the most important things. Who cares was, that you're running one of the world's biggest yeah. tennis events? Where are my cookies? Yeah, especially when it's filled with sugar and it's the middle of the day. So uh, yeah, anyway, but it's just, you know, look, I think there's a lot of learnings that we've taken from this and, and we'll talk to that this morning, but, I, but uh, there's no question that uh, being a bit more relaxed about that type of stuff and, and less serious um, 
because at the end of the day, um, I've always said, you know, human beings, we have this natural instinct to want to control. And when we cannot, like in this environment, the levels of anxiety and stress go up significantly. And with that comes comes other challenges. And uh, that we have to manage because we sometimes, in this vortex of change, don't realize it's happening. Well, it's brought a human and a personal touch. And we've seen this in interviews. We saw your black cat before we started filming was playing with tennis balls over behind your left shoulder. So we're getting to know people's kids want cookies and the cats like playing with tennis balls. It really is showing a more personal side. Yeah, you're into people's homes. And we've seen some funny things too. And and I think that's and then that's the uniqueness about being able to communicate like this. I do think it'd be it'd be a new standard. Um, actually, I'll, I'll just quickly say this. I, I read a lot about the pandemic in 1918 and and uh, and what was the response and and after that and and what I learned that there was a vortex of change that was that that was going on, significant change that happened following that pandemic when people didn't realise they were in this vortex of change. And I don't think that's any dissimilar to today. We are in this significant vortex of change. When we come out of it, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be different. And hopefully, whether it be um, whether it be the political situations or the social injustices, those all get managed and managed in, in, in the right way because otherwise that vortex of change could be more, more challenging. Um, but I think certainly as it relates to technology and the way we work, uh, we're living those changes right now. Mm. And speaking of change, you've moved from coaching on the side of the court to now an administrative role. Do you still play tennis? Like, is it still part of your routine to get the racket and a couple of balls and head down to your local court? Love, yep, when I can. Uh, used to play a lot more. Obviously, I played every day for a long, long, long time. And now not as much. Now it's more just with the kids and friends and it's more a bit of a hit and giggle stuff. And uh and it's, again, it's a nice form of it's, – it's a magnificent sport. So those listening, if you haven't played it, give it a go because it's, uh, you can play it your whole life. It's the, it, if you look at all the virtues of different sports, tennis is one, men and women, boys and girls, very easy. Singles or doubles, you can play with someone or by yourself. Exercise or no exercise because you just decide how much you want to run. And you play it your whole life and it's non-contact. And uh, it's a perfect sport for COVID because you naturally physically distance. So uh, – so that's why we've seen a, a couple of hundred percent point increases in the participation in our sport during this period. So we've been very lucky along those ways. So I do love the sport. I don't know anything else in the world other than tennis. So if you ask me any questions outside of it, I think I'm going to be, be challenged. Well, your passion shines through. And uh, in researching uh, about you as well, some of the other passion uh, that shines through with you coming from South Africa, you know, from a, a family that's uh, very supportive around your progression and, and then moving forward. Um, you're very passionate about study. Obviously, you moved to America. You studied kinesiology, which is really interesting. So studied the body and how that works. Um, but you're also passionate about connection. In uh, we, we all have a digital footprint now. Anna and I speak about this. And one of your digital footprints, Craig, is Twitter. And I've got a question for you. Have you got an amazing memory or do you have some sort of system? Because I was saying to Anna, I want to know, does this guy have some sort of system? Because you remember so many people's birthdays. Yeah, the happy birthday messages. Yeah, well, birthdays and names. And uh, you know, one of the, and I think this is my – I've been lucky. I've, you know, I've, I've been uh, – I had a good grounding as a kid. Uh, it was a tough one, but it was, it was really good and – and I spent some time in the military and I've lived in three different continents and I think I've become a global citizen very early in my life. But the one thing that I did learn on that journey is never lose the connection and get into other people's world. People don't come into your world unless you're willing to get into their world. And, 
And so I've always been adamant about learning people's names, learning about the people around them. I would practice it. I would, I would do a point of identification on someone that, you know, that person looks like a Jared or that person looks like a Sharon and, and, uh, and, and have, you know, physical points of, to help you remember names and birthdays and, and then make notes. And, and I, and even to this day, I still randomly contact three people a day. It's just a discipline I've had and uh, to on this connection because I think it's critically important. Even during what you've just been through with COVID, even I know has got some questions and, on that. Yep, absolutely. And it, it maybe someone I haven't spoken to in a year. And uh, they have, I've done it. I've already finished today's three contacts. And it's just, it can be one minute call. It can be, it's mostly just a call to connect. And uh, under this condition, it's been sometimes a bit of Zoom or Teams. Um, or sometimes just a, a drop an email, and uh, and I've always it's just the connection you initiate the connection, and in business and in life, it's that that becomes your community, and uh, and that community supports and helps you moving on. But you've got to work at it. It's not mm. easy. I, we are recognised as the player's favourite event, and uh, and we've grown to where we were the fourth cousin of all the major tennis events in the world, and now now we're the the first. And um, in many aspects of it, but I think we've done that by the personal touch, and our business has grown through that personal touch. I love hearing that because you run one of the world's biggest events, and to still have that discipline—it is a discipline, right—to do that every single day. Because I'm sure there's days where you get tired, and a lot of our small business owners are really going through challenging times at the moment. Some have done a t- complete digital backflip and have whole new business models. Some can't really do a whole new model. They've got to wait until trade does get going. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, oh, I just get so busy sometimes. But you, you just have built that in every day, no matter how busy you are, it's become a real discipline. Yeah, it's, it's priority. I mean, if you have a priority of brushing your teeth or having breakfast, that's priority, feeding yourself. It's just where you put your priority list. And, and that just is on the top of my priority list. And I think it's it's one of those things you don't immediately see the impact, but over time I can tell you that I've got now much more behind me than I've got in front. Uh, when you're over 50 years old, that seems to happen. You kind of reach that halfway mark. And I like to think it's halfway mark. Some people think it's a three-quarter way mark. But um, oh, I, I think it's not even got- half. I, I, I've, <laughs> I've said this before on this Business Fit podcast. I want to get to 130. And my nine-year-old said to yeah, me, yeah. gee, Dad, you're optimistic. I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's in your well, best the, interest that I'm around. I think around. your nine-year-old has a better chance of getting to 130 than you, Andrew, because Ooh, of the way make, make technology is going to evolve. But but with that being said, I think just having is always looking forward and and then using what you have had behind and 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 the a discipline is creating the priorities. When you're running, as I used to run a small business and I ran a small business for about 17 years and and I think that's grounded me very well for now that I'm in a corporation where I get paid a salary. Um, unlike previously, when I was running my small business, I had to work every single day. When I woke up, I only made money when I worked. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a whole different learning. And I think the appreciation of running a small business, the small business owners are the leaders because the appreciation of running a small business and the pressure and the stress is far greater than having working in the corporate world and having, having a job and far more difficult. And, uh, and so the one thing I did learn in that environment was priority. So if I didn't have the right priorities uh, each day, then I wasn't surviving. Craig, let's now move into the elephant um, in every, every corporate and small business room around Australia, which is uh, COVID. Now, as I said, I have um, 1,500 people in my team who have spent the last six months supporting um, some half a million businesses across Australia to sustain themselves. 
Now, tennis um, is a huge industry and globally as well as in Australia, but it also has some roots um, in small business. Can you give us an insight into the extent and reach of small business within the tennis industry, especially from that vendor uh, perspective and, and the businesses that actually support this great event? Yeah. So, well, we can start with our coaching cohort. Every coach in Australia runs a small business. They lease courts across the country. There's 2,500 clubs, 17,000 tennis courts, 4,500 coaches that are independent contractors running a small business. Um, they act as independent contractors, but basically they're running their business. You know, they, they're providing a coaching service, sometimes a competition service, sometimes they, um, you know, there's, there's a retail service as well. So, so many of them, the bigger, the bigger small businesses have, have you know, one-stop shop for all sorts of services and, and do really well. And there's different models. In Queensland, you have a very, very private model and, and, there's, uh, and there's more of a community model in, in Victoria. Um, but besides that, if you take the Australian Open, and, and, I, and, and sometimes people, you know, the size of the Australian Open, this event turns over $500 million a year, just the event in a period of, of really four weeks in Australia, the summer of tennis. Um, it is, um, it, and, and within that event, just in the, in the city of Melbourne, uh, we'll bring over $360 million of direct economic impact in 14 days. There's nothing that actually make, can make that comparison over that period of time anywhere in Australia. So that's why it is regarded, it is the largest annual Southern Hemisphere sporting event. It's the largest sporting event at that time of the year in January, and one of the largest annual sporting events globally. Um, but in it, and this, this year is particularly when you said of the elephant in the room being COVID, I always tell people managing COVID is like pushing an elephant uphill because it's not that easy. But uh, it's uh, in this environment for 2021, we're going to take the position um, and we're going to be announcing this pretty soon so can let the team know this, is that our entire premise of existence is going to be supporting local businesses. And in whatever field it is, it, it, it will either be in food, it will be in art, It'll be in music. Uh, it'll be in all the suppliers and putting the event. And that's why it's really important for us to have some version of crowds so that we as a business can invest in those local businesses providing that service. And we really believe we can find a way, particularly in January, to rejuvenate uh, some of the local businesses, not everyone, and certainly those in entertainment um, and, and, and retail in our city. Um, but it's going to be primarily Victorians and interstate, no, not international, that we want to get to Melbourne in, in January to be able to take advantage of that and be able to support our local businesses here in Victoria particularly. So, so it's interesting you asked that question because the first place we went from a brand point of view for the future was what can we do for, you know, for local businesses here, particularly where we can impact it here in Melbourne and Victoria particularly. Especially kind of when I reflect on the uh, tournament in 2020, which was just this you know, absolutely wonderful experience. And you know, I remember my family and I, we were the first ones there every morning and we were one of, amongst the last to leave every single day, a true tennis tragics. Mm. I kind of can't uh, imagine what this will look like uh, without those crowds um, and with our borders closed. Do you think that will significantly impact your revenues? And what have you done to ensure that that business sustainability piece is still maintained? Yeah, and that's a great question. So be, and we, the reason why it is is because it's, it's changed for everything. One thing I've learned during this period, there's no expert on the pandemic because none of us have lived through a pandemic. None of us were managing a business in, in 1918. So, so it's new for everyone. And I think that the most important thing is, and I'll say this up front, is attitude. 
And if you have the attitude as a business leader, as I do as a business leader, the first thing I want to do is learn. I want to learn from what's everyone doing? What's working in the, in the world globally? What's working in the, the local business next to me? What's working in other events? So just be a sponge for knowledge and a sponge for learning. And I'm not going to tell people how to do things because I don't have an authority. I'm not a medical expert or I haven't lived a pandemic before. So every day is different for us and for me. So that's the first approach I take. But then secondly, our business will be impacted. Our revenues will be halved. Um, we'll be running a significant deficit in the, in the tens of millions of dollars. Um, but we have to survive. So the reason why we're going to survive is the, is the decisions we made earlier. Six years ago, we made a decision that, uh, well, eight years ago now, that every single month we were going to put away a little bit of money, which was going to be in a reserve and it's a cash reserve. We weren't going to try and be greedy and, and put it in the, in the market and make more money on it, but a, but a, but a, a low-risk investment portfolio, primarily in bonds, but a cash reserve that we build up each week and each month that when we ever hit a crisis, we can survive. And at the same time, we'll invest in insurance, and the insurance will protect us in case anything happens. Those decisions eight years ago, which were criticized then because there was a cost to the business to do that because we were running a small margin, so we had to take some of that margin for that cost, but it was a foresight cost. And now we're enjoying that benefit today. And then the, so, so the attitude's the first, the planning is the second, but it's hard to plan now because if you're in it, now you're living it. So what do you do when you're, in it, when you're living it? And then the approach that we've taken is what are our priorities? So there's three priorities. The first one was save jobs. Most important thing at the end of this is keep the IP in the business, save jobs, do whatever you can to save jobs, job keeper, anything else, you know, deferrals, uh, keeping a job with no payment, whatever it may be. That's been our first objective. And that's why you see as an organization, we haven't experienced what everyone else has on, on, on the loss of jobs. Our second objective is the business viability. So what decisions do I need to make to make sure I've got enough cash? Because it's a cash game now. It's not, you know, it's like how much cash do I have tomorrow just to keep myself going, doors open, what are my plans? And this is where you pivot as a business. So we immediately diversified, uh, you know, and, and what, what were our digital options? And, uh, you know, we now offer a digital coaching service. You can now book a court digitally. You can get a court anywhere, anytime, pay online. Um, you, can, you can now, you can transact with us as it relates to other upcoming events digitally. Uh, we've created new services around health and well-being and, and uh, leadership advice and and, uh, it's, and just changing our business. We, we're looking. We're working on a, a completely remote production studio. So there's no not manned by people, but manned remotely. So just just pivoting the business. So that's the viability. And then the third thing is decide what your values are. You know, mine is around the connectivity and the collaboration, and make sure they're instilled in everything that you're doing every day. And your business survives. In my view, those three things. You have to sometimes get help. Because if you if you can't trade, as Andrew said earlier, um, and you've got people are not buying what you do, how can you get them to buy? Can they buy on digital platforms? Can you provide partnerships with other organisations to, to to bring some revenue in? And I'm not an expert in those small businesses; those that are leading it are. But it's, this is a time for the creativity to fly. And Craig, you also mentioned the importance of trying to save as many jobs as possible. Um, I know that uh, in my experience, we've been, uh, my teams have been busier than ever. And one of the things that uh, has been top of my mind is around how do you um, retain that sense of engagement and connectivity 
uh, within remotely working teams. Is there anything that you've done uh, for Tennis Australia population um, to be able to kind of retain that sense of engagement um, that I would assume would have been very high prior to all of this? It was, and it comes to my first point about connectivity that Andrew mentioned and communication. Those are the same thing. Um, The very first thing we did is every single week, wherever our players are around the world, we have a call, half an hour, and we talk to our playing group. You know, so Alex Demonon, Ash Barty, and uh, you know Nick Kyrgios, Leighton Hewitt, Alicia Mollick, whoever it is, every player gets on that call and we communicate with them what we're planning, how we can help them, what they can do and give them some tips And because they're also small business owners. Uh, if you're a tennis player, you make your living playing tennis. There's no events. You cannot make a living. You're now unemployed because uh, you employ yourself basically. So how do we help them? So we do that. And then, then with, with all of our stakeholders, we have a call every week. We set aside half an hour with the players, half an hour with the stakeholders, and then our staff. Once every two weeks, we have an hour-long t- uh, town hall. This, we, have, we employ 650 people. And, uh, and they can get on that call, and it's an open session to ask me questions. Am I going to keep my job? Um, you know, do I have to stand down? What does JobKeeper mean? Can I get more parental leave? How can I support with kids working at home? I've got mental health issues. Where can I get? Anyone can ask any question. It's an open way. And I've been asked some really tough questions. And my job is to provide that answer in front of the entire company. And we do that once every two weeks. So that I think is the approach we have that I have to just the rawness of the vulnerability. And uh, I'm struggling too. It's not just, uh, you know, I'm just, I have a privilege of leading the, the organization. But when I say struggling, is that I've, I've got to find time in the day. We're an international business. So my calls are 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. Um, so it's long days, long nights. And I'm trying to keep people in jobs and keeping this business viable. So we're all in this together. Uh, so we need to have some empathy for each person's struggles with it and know that um, we communicate. And lead from the front, I suppose. I just have one more question for you, Craig. Sure. Um, US Open has just yeah. finished um, with a devastating result uh, for my family in particular. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to find out from you, were there any valuable outcomes that you can mention, uh, any learnings, any innovation that they employed that could perhaps be uh, uh, translated into uh, a tangible, practical uh, tip for small business or for Tennis Australia indeed? Well, I think one thing would be confidence. Uh, you know, in New York, uh, you know, 1,000 infections a day. At one point they were having seven, eight, ten thousand 10,000 a day, but this event was played in New York. People traveled from around the world to play this event in New York. The players were in a bubble. It was an isolation bubble. It wasn't like staying in your hotel room for 14 days. But they wore masks. They mingled around with each other, but they were physically distancing. They had 12,000 tests, and there was one positive test, just one positive test. Asymptomatic wasn't there was no serious condition. So um, these were players coming from around the world. So I think you know if you physically distance and if you wear a mask and if you practice hygiene, uh, that was an environment where that percentage is extremely small in an environment where the infection rate is still fairly high, where the community spread is still fairly high. So to us, as small business owners and communities, that it's straightforward things we can do: wear a mask, physically distance. And, uh, and, and practice hygiene. And then the chances of that being infecting each other is almost negligible. 
And as a result, then we can get along with our normal day lives doing those three things. So that was probably our biggest takeaway. We were expecting a lot more positive tests because they were coming from red zones around the world. That was the first thing. And that's a big one, I think. Hi, we hope you have been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. And the second one was that that, uh, there's a way through this. There's a way to make your business work in this environment. Um, and the governments, yes, have done have done these these standard lockdowns, which is the right thing to do to get our numbers low, so we can do that. And uh, and, and now it's on us. Um, and I think we learned that ultimately it is ultimately on us through through the journey. Absolutely, and I think one of the key messages that we um, keep uh, giving our customers and the industry and government is around the fact that um, it's important for us as a community. Uh, to start thinking about how do we live uh, with the virus yeah. ongoing. Yeah. And I think, as you said, it's, it's a brilliant example at the US Open where they found a way to still yeah. hold a great event yeah. uh, despite the circumstances. Yeah, and I, they did lose a couple of hundred million dollars in revenue because they couldn't have any fans and, and, and hospitality and they're going to have to really write their business to manage that in the future. But they've got some confidence under COVID they can run an event in 2022 and 23, and we're the same. The difference is we will have some fans because our community transmission will be low and uh, we'll have everyone practice those three things and everyone will be safe. You'll have to tell me how I, I get tickets. <laughs> I know. Well, we know you come in the morning and, in the, and at night. So that we, we're going to be selling tickets from October and it's going to be limited, between 25 and 50%, and we need to work with the governments. And, and I think that's really important. And I, I do understand the medical reasons for what we do and i totally get it and support it but i also think we need to be practical and uh you know that we are going to in the future have challenges with you know school learning and for kids with uh, mental health and well-being with jobs uncertainty on on security and and uh, we need to be we need to make sure we start investing in managing that now not wait until it happens and uh, the way we can contribute to that is a small business owner and our small businesses is is playing our part in the community and ensuring that we don't spread this virus. Thank you. Oh, I've got a couple of questions on adversity and challenge, but before I do, Craig, have you got any comments on Anna's naming of her son Novak? Like, no, do you I think, think we may have been able to have a bit more influence from Tennis Australia? Like, surely oh. there could have been a Pat thrown in there, or a Nick, or a Leighton. <laughs> no, she perhaps? could have done that. Well, I've, I've got I've got animals called Serena and Roger and Rafa, so uh, <laughs> Leighton uh, actually lives around the corner uh, yeah. from me. So yeah, we should have done. We should have gone with Leighton. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you should have gone with Leighton. No, no, Novak's Novak's a great champion of the Australian Open and uh, he's had a rough year with a lot of different things happened to him and decisions he's made but he's never done them with ill intent so um, but uh, yeah he's won our event a lot but uh, nice name. So speaking of intent talk us through this wasn't on our running order but let's go there Uh, talk us through the naming of your animals. No (laughs) (laughs) I love tennis so uh, I mean um, I've known Roger Federer since he was 13 14 years old so I've been on a long journey with him and and uh, Rafa is one of my favorite players as well. And uh, we're very lucky. We're living in an area where we've got some great tennis players. We happen to have the number one player in the world in Ash Barty in Australia. And we've got a great heritage. Um, you know, there's, one point, there's 1.6 million people playing out the game of tennis in, in Australia. And as a percentage of the population, that's by far the highest of anywhere in the world. So 
Um, so that's why when I moved to Australia back in 2005 on a three-year contract, which has now been extended to beyond 2020, but it's been, been a fun three-year contract, is that um, I, you know, I, I love the passion Australia has for sport and particularly for tennis. So that's why I continue to stay. So, uh, um, yeah, anything we can name a tennis player, we will. Love it. Love it. So one of the continuing themes in this podcast is overcoming adversity and challenge. And you mentioned you'd been asked some curly questions in your, your dial-ins, but can we zone in on that for the time being? And it may not be in tennis, it could be in your sporting life, it could be in your personal life, but can you share a challenging time with our audience that you've gone through and what did you do to overcome that and what did you learn from that? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. I think, well, my first challenging time was really a, a teenager when I made a decision to leave home and go and explore the world as a tennis player and try and make a living, uh, you know, 17, 18 years old. And, and when, you, when you go from South Africa to Europe and, and, and the US um, without having traveled and you do it by yourself with no money and uh, then you've got to go from week to week, you just need to make enough money. So I realized quickly that my physical prowess and, and technical one as a tennis player wasn't going to make it. So I had to work at night. So if you work in bars and pubs and wherever you can earn you know, $10 an hour, whatever it was, uh, to make it going. And I think the learnings very quickly I had during that period of adversity was, was at the end of the day, you are the, you're surviving by yourself. Uh, and, and, and the decisions you make are, you know, for your survival. But I also learned that if you're able to form friendships and partnerships, it'd be amazing the number of people that would help you. And unless you ask for help, you don't get it. Mm. And uh, there's been, been, been shy or, or, or or not, you know, often people think they feel it is, is, is too advanced to, or, or no, too, too forward thinking or is to go and ask someone, you know, for some help. But uh, I think it's very brave to ask someone for help. And I, and I think it's, uh, it should be a normal thing to do. So I think I learned that early. And, but then from a physical point of view, my, my biggest adversity was the three years in the army uh, during at a time when there was, was, was battle and conflict and, and having to learn survival in that environment, um, and uh, and that was my grounding for my future because I think I'd been to been to the edge of death a few times, and and I think when you do experience that, you have a, a very quick found respect for life and for opportunity, and that's why I'm uh, I'm an activist and an advocate on uh, on on support for any minority group and uh, and for any person that is disadvantaged in any way. I uh, I will speak up and and and. And not only that, take action. Uh, and I think that probably comes from that grounding. So I think if you have adversity, it's lucky. Uh, and it's not about the adversity you experience. It's about your response to it. Mm. And uh, a lot of people have had a lot more adversity than I have. So it's, uh, and I, you need to have great deal of respect for that. And I was going to pick up on that, but you've mentioned it, or you've rounded it out beautifully, but the three years you had in the military. So, yeah. so listening to the messages weave throughout this conversation, you said, number one, it's all about attitude and learning. And that's yeah. about planning. It's about values. It's about communication. So yeah. much of that, it sounds like you got from that military base. So when you're a young boy going into the military, you don't really think about a lot of those things or, or did you? Did you, were I, you always I, like focused on mindset and caring and connection? I didn't know. I, all I was worried about where I could uh, trade for a chocolate bar each week. So, uh, you know, the simple things matter in those times. But, uh, but I, I look, at, I, it, it's interesting when I look at my kids today, what kind of grounding am I going to give them, uh, you know, for the grounding that I had where I was very fortunate. I was thrown to those environments, not by choice, but, uh, and I 
and I came out of them. I didn't enjoy them at the time, but I came out of them far better. So, you know, what kind of, I think we've got some challenges with, with our youth in, in the, in, and I remember my dad saying that, Oh, he sounds like an old man. And I probably now sound like an old person when I'm, when I'm making that comment, but, but I think we do have some challenges around, uh, you know, physical activity in tennis, for example, the biggest challenge we have in our business is the couch. We, our biggest competitor is the couch and the TV, not, not other sports because of the sedentary lifestyle kids can easily choose. So, so I think, you know, just the, it's interesting. I, you, you get your grounding somewhere and if you've got, if you've got one or two parents or uh, someone that is, is aspirational to you as a kid, I think it's critically important. And then a support system uh, that is disciplined. And um, I'm a big believer in, in, in discipline and, and, uh, and I'm a big believer in, and I think having adversity in your life because you learn from it. I, I agree totally. It was really refreshing hearing you say at the start that it is tough, but you look back at 1918 and I don't think yeah. many people were around back then. Yeah. And there was a big growth period after that. So it was really challenging. I think we sometimes yeah. get stuck, you know, thinking that other people haven't been through what we've been through. Martin yeah. Seligman talks about post-traumatic growth, that we get yeah. some of our biggest growth, some of our biggest adaptation, some of yeah. our biggest changes from the challenging times. And that's obviously what you've yeah. looked at in your life, you know, yeah. learning, growing, surging, moving forward. You mentioned your parents. Have there been other yeah. figures in your life that you look back and reflect and go, that that male, that female has had a big influence on me and my mindset and leadership and the way I think? Yeah, you know, I think there's been many people. I, um, I mean, I, you know, I have mentors that I turn to and um, from all over the world, from all, all different walks of life, and, and, and sometimes they don't know they're my mentors because I just call them up and ask for advice on something. But, but, I, I, but, uh, but I think, you, you know, it is your parents and your siblings and I think your peers earlier in life that do form a lot of that. And I was lucky. I had a you know, highly su- successful parents in their life, and, but also always questioned. You know, they never accepted an answer as the given. And, uh, and so I always did go through life and have learning that I, I always challenge the status quo. Um, I never accept authority as the, as the final position. But I don't challenge it from a rebel point of view. I challenge it from it is is that the final position and why, um, and I always and I always ask questions. And so I think that and so that creates it creates an inquisitive mind. And I think one of the things I left out at the beginning, from a business point of view, if you can have a business that can be inquisitive, and it's an interesting concept, then I think you ask the questions and you develop the creativity, looking for other avenues to generate revenue. Mm. Um, so I've always kind of had had that approach. So from a from a leadership point of view, I've. I'm, a, I'm not a reader, um, but when I do read, it's only autobiographies. I love finding out about other people's lives. And, uh, and I've read many autobiographies and, can, and in any walks of life. Uh, the, the latest one I have read is The Happiest Man on Earth. And, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's, that's a great attitude one. If we think we're in tough times. Um, so as long as we, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole learning. And, and I, I can get it from you and Anna just talking today and, you know, how you ask the questions, what kind of questions you ask and what you're talking about, you know. In your position, it's refreshing hearing some of the questions you ask, some of the ways you pause and reflect. Uh, because I think sometimes people get into a position of power or they're running a business and they don't ask questions. I talk, Anna and I were saying before, it, it's the inquisitiveness of an eight or nine-year-old boy or girl. Why, why, why? And, and I think we sometimes stop asking that. And I think it's a beautiful skill to have as we move through life. But uh, talking to you, reading about you, you are very focused on developing others. You mentioned knowing you know, right. Federer from a 13 or 14 year old, and you've seen his yeah. career come through. And you, you take yeah. pride in seeing athletes come through, not just yeah. Australians, 
but athletes around the world. But what do you do to nurture you? So you mentioned you get up in the morning and you get some fresh air, but I, I yeah. can only imagine. I, in fact, I can't imagine. Anna, you might have a bit more perspective, you know, running a big team, working with half a million Australian small business owners. But how do you put your oxygen mask on? Yeah, it's, I always like that analogy. You take care of yourself, but so you can take care of the others around you. Um, it's you know, it's a. I mean, I don't I, I don't really think think about it much. Um, but it's a other than I just keep doing. My general attitude is always, and I and I think of leaders of business today. I think we should be switching from being a leader of a business to a coach of a business, and uh, it's a very different skill set and uh, and learning to be a coach and. I've been lucky. I was a coach for a lot of my life. I ran a business as a coach and, and, uh, and a small business that grew. And we went from one facility to about 10 and, and uh, hired a lot of people. And, and, I, uh, and today in this particular this environment, I've become a coach again. And I'm loving that. It's a complete privilege to be leading in this environment. And I'm loving it because I don't have all the answers. The only way I get them is from learning from the people around me. I've got a team that know a lot more than I do. And the moment I create a, a, a perception that I know more than them, I'm done. I love yeah. that. I, I, yeah. I studied sports coaching at university. I've worked with sporting teams for 15, 20 years. So you've just – my interest level has peaked. Um, yeah. But for people listening to this who are running a small business and they go, yeah, what, what does that mean? What, what does coaching mean? How do I have a coaching conversation with my team? What, what would be yeah. one or two skills you'd bring in to, to lead with more of a coaching style? Well, people forget you could be a one-person small business. Your customers are out there waiting to be coached. They want to be coached about not only the offering that you can get, but you can do totally something different. I can call up someone randomly and I may be over here, you know, trading on, on, on a product, but I'm a, I could be calling up my 300 customers and just checking in, not talking about trading on the product, just checking in. And these are the ideas I have. Have you read this? Have you seen this? You know, and I, and I think that in essence, you are becoming a coach that connecting you're making again, right from the beginning of the conversation we had about the communication and the connection. So that's why I always encourage you people to do it from a coaching perspective you don't have to learn how to be a coach but the first action you can take is connect initiate the connection and you don't even have to have a topic people are just waiting on the other end to receive advice um so so i think that 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 would be the one the one tip and then i think the second tip in the coaching is that if you do have your staff around you they need you more than you ever think you would they would need you now and uh, and the conversation can have nothing to do with work but connect again because those you'll be absolutely surprised how that changes. One thing I've actually learned during this period, at the beginning of this pandemic, we forgot in our business about the one-on-one connection. And over the last three months, I actually woke up one morning and realized that there's something missing. And I think it was that, because now on our senior managers, our managers, I'm putting it on them. Your responsibility is much more than delivering events and delivering our business. We run 300 events a year, is the one-on-one connection with your teams. And uh, it's a lot of work that, but it's getting, it's a, it's a culture has been a, can be a completely cultural shift of, of confidence and, and security and comfort by a team that's not too sure about if they have a job tomorrow. Are you always this calm and considered and compassionate or do you, do you lose your stack sometimes? If we asked no. your three kids, <laughs> like, yeah, when did dad last absolutely lose it and how did he handle himself in that situation? What would they say about your, your coaching or leadership style at home? I, I wouldn't ask my kids because I give a warped view and I'm sure, but uh, no, I'm not. I, d- discipline, discipline's coached. So we, we do, I mean, our, our home is, um, uh, you know, I like kids to make their bed in the morning and they think, oh, you know, and simply because it's, it's a task. You know, I like kids to, you know, 
put their clothes in their drawer and, and that's a task. And so I'll, I'll get them to do that as part of my training for the kids. And it's not an irrelevant exercise. It's an exercise on having something that starts and finishes as a young kid. So, but I think in my, from my, uh, you're a product of your environment. Um, I'm very lucky to be living in Australia. You know, right now we're and very lucky to have my family living in Australia and I, I have a different perspective. I had to take the citizenship test. Most Australians haven't done that. Uh, so I had to learn about the history of Australia, and uh, and I have a great deal of respect for it, uh, of, you know, from learning from it. And we've got the best medical system in the world. We've got the best governments in the world. We're the safest place to live, um, and uh, we've got the best sporting environment in the world and the best out. I mean, there's so many things. And so what I'm trying teaching my kids not to take that for granted because they're very spoiled to be in this environment. So, so because of that, I think then I can flip to an attitude generally of of uh, having more empathy about others around me. And that's why I get the one area where I do lose my patience. Um, there's, if um, anyone tries to take an advantage of anyone else for the benefit of themselves, I don't have any time for. It's a version of bullying. It's a version of prejudice. It's a version of discrimination. Um, and because anyone has, if anyone chooses any different lifestyle or they a different color or a different religion or whatever, it doesn't make them any different. And uh, so that is one area where I don't have much patience for. And so you will find me get frustrated in those environments when that pops its head up. But uh, other than that, I think I'm a pretty relaxed dude. Um, Craig, there are three really things that have really resonated for me in this conversation. One is the how you were talking about learning um, from biographies. I actually have a collection of over a thousand biographies in three different languages. Um, and I find it extraordinary how much we can learn from others' uh, experiences. The other is your uh, philosophy on raising kids. I recently had a conversation with Marty Cohen from Cohen Brown, and he said, rules, rules, responsibility, three key ways of, of um, raising kids. So, and the other one actually was around your uh, resilience uh, and mm. importance of adversity mm. to teach us lifelong lessons. I come from mm. a refugee background, so yeah. that's something that um, uh, have personal connection to. So, when you kind of look at, uh, and you mentioned uh, previously, you, you're uh, around the age of uh, 50, you had this extraordinary experience where you've helped and contributed to the lives of so many different people. And um, you, you have this opportunity uh, at a global stage to influence. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Cool. That's a good question. Come work for you? I don't know. I just said, I, 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 it's a, it's a um, you know, I don't, I don't think much about the future in the sense for myself personally because I, I love, um, you know, I love what today brings and uh, I do live for today. And, uh, and then because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You try and plan because you have a family, you have responsibility. I've, I've the, my family are all the people that work for Tennis Australia that play the game and, and some are more distant to, some I'm closer to. So that's I take that personal responsibility each day uh, with that group. That's why protecting jobs is the absolute most important thing for, for our family, which is our tennis community. Um, and so I think that's my general approach to it. But I think any, you know, I, I've loved coaching. I've loved leading. It's, it's a form of coaching. It's a form of helping people. I've got a, a passion around uh, around um, advancing groups that don't have the same benefit as us and and opportunities as us. So, um, so I do I do have a, a love for that. So I will do something in that field. I'll do something that uh, I like. I mean, I, I'd love to become an advocate for our frontline working staff and uh, and and ensuring that they get 
the right treatment, the right pay, the right opportunities, because I think historically that has been the case. The teaching community, I mean, I just think there's lots of things that need to change. And you mentioned one word, which, we, which is the first time it's been mentioned on this call, which I think is the most important one of the world we're living in today, and that's resilience. And and uh, the we're going to come out of this much better. I'm, I, I've been telling people that COVID is not a disruptor. It's actually an accelerator. We don't know that. It's accelerating a great way forward for us, but we're going to have to deal with a lot of change. There's a, there's a great divide in political, in political opinions around the world, and there's a great upheaval in social injustices. And, and, uh, and, I think, and, there's, you know, and I think these are things that are going to create challenges for us. So it's our attitude and our response to it and our resilience that's going to determine a great future for us. And we have a responsibility. You're a parent, Andrew, as I'm. Many of your business leaders are they parents. They're parents of their staff. They're parents of their, their customers. They're parents maybe of their kids at home. We all in a leadership role leading a business have a responsibility to ensure that it's better for the person that's coming behind us. And whether it be, whether it be it's a long list of things because climate's in there too and, and you have people have different views on it. But at the end of the day, you know, if, um, you know, if, you, if, if you're not helping those around you, uh, you're going to lose. And creating that progress and kind of leaving sure. it better for the next generation that we found it ourselves. Yeah, and it's hard, it's hard work that. It's hard work. It's a, it's a sacrifice you have to make. If you make a living, you've got to contribute. You know, if you've got some extra cash, you need to, you need to help. Uh, um, and NAB plays a massive role with its small businesses. It's beyond just providing financial opportunities. And, you know, what you've created here is, is an intrinsic one. And that's, in my view, the, the monetary future into the future is in human capital. And, uh, and that's why I'm so focused on the coaching element of it. And Craig, um, I am going to, of course, assume that you are going to continue to run the world's greatest event for many, many years to come. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I am going to assume it. Um, what is next for Tennis Australia? I mean, given that you've scaled such huge highs um, professionally, where do you take this wonderful well, organization forward? Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I don't think we, we haven't started, and that's why I'm really excited. We've, diversi we've diversified uh, our business. Um, we now, you know, we had an incubator. We've got 12 startups. We've invested in those. We're launching a venture capital fund. We've brought back all of our production. We did world gymnastics championships, and so now we're doing more things than tennis. Everything you see on TV, that's our young people. We've got 19-, 20, 20-year-olds that we hire. They produce that. This is magnificent. Uh, we provide jobs. We've 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 got nine offices globally now. Uh, we have investments in in um, in other events outside of Australia. Uh, we've invested in in technical uh, technology sorry in technologies that will hopefully give us a big upside. Um, so we've we've we're now diversifying into food. We're going to become a food business. We diversify into music. We partner into music business. So this is exciting, you know. We happen to also be a sporting organization, but we're now growing to, into an entertainment conglomerate. And, and COVID, not, we're not forgetting tennis. We're not forgetting tennis. Tennis is at the core of it, but COVID's providing us that even accelerated opportunity to, to move on these things. So I'm absolutely excited. I think we've got a great workforce, a great team, and we'll be hiring. We, we've been hiring, as you know, um, we've continued to hire during this period, and we'll, we'll continue to hire into the future because we're growing. And and um, and we'll take risks. Uh, and that's the approach I have. And if I have a board that doesn't like that, then they'll have to find a CEO that gives them something else. But I've got a board that does like that, so it's really helpful right now. And supports you wholeheartedly in this diversification agenda. Over to yeah. you, Andrew. 
Look, it's so many lessons today about communication, coaching, collaboration. I love the contact three people. And I think that's a message every mm. small business owner, every big business owner, in fact, everyone listening to this can do. As I mentioned before, Craig, I've got a, a background in sport. I call it the push-up guarantee. So I think, Anna, I, I think we should be doing 20 push-ups. So for all of our listeners, we want you to do the 20 push-up, the Craig Tiley 20 push-up guarantee. There's been loads of great, really bites of information. I encourage you to listen back to this a number of times and pull out some of those gems. But I've got one question for you, Craig, before we part. And that question is, is there anything you would like Anna and I to have asked you? Or is there anything you'd like to ask us? You know, um, I think the fact that you asked that question is a lesson. And uh, so my question is a question and a statement is that uh, ask someone else a question. Because remember at the beginning, I said, our job is to get into other people's lives, not expect them to get into ours. And the way you do that is just ask him, how are you doing? Or is there a question you want me to ask you? Like you just did there, Andrew. So um, immediately my learning from that was, was, was the acceptance of the fact that you were interested in, in knowing what I wanted to ask. Uh, was a much bigger lesson than me giving you a question of what I do want to ask. Um, but I think the question that I do have for you, where to from here with this podcast? Making making this podcast real, you know, you know, visually and 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 verbally, and and how do you pull all these great lessons you're learning uh, on this journey together into something that can be bite sized because of our time constraints in life that people can really learn and remember. Mm. Anna, do you want to start with that? It's your fault that we're here, yes. so I'm, I'm yes, going to give this to you first. Yes, it is all my fault that we are here, uh, Craig. I am beyond excited about the fact that we'll be launching Business Fit for 2.2 million. SMEs um, across Australia, a really, really practical and pragmatic financial um, health and mental well-being uh, program that we will be sharing uh, with broad audiences and delivering real tips and ability to also participate in various connection zones, various podcasts, various webinars. Um, and the whole point of it is really to help people get to the other side, okay, to yeah. help um, build out that resilience muscle and to also show them that um, as the country's biggest and leading small business bank, uh, we actually have a duty of care to contribute more than just from a financial perspective. Mm. Our customers are hurting at the moment. Mm. And I see it as my job and my team see it as their job to help beyond just financial products and services. This is why we are doing it. And I am incredibly grateful to you and indeed everyone else that has contributed to this podcast and sharing your thought leadership and way forward for businesses that really do need our help collectively. Yeah. Well, well done. You're a superstar on NAB, so they're lucky to have you. So well done. I mean, these are kinds of, this is an example of where you know, you, you're resilient and you, you, the, the, the time we're in, you've got to pivot and change to something. Actually, I don't like that word pivot. You've got to be agile. Yeah, we're going to start finding people, I think, one yeah, dollar no, every time word. we're here. Unprecedented. Keep, bang, yeah. pivot, bang. <laughs> we need to adapt. Yeah, we need to adapt and be agile enough to that, that, that adaptation. And I think the, I mean, it's much easier, and that's why I asked the question, because it's much easier saying it. Um, you, you need to be able to live it. And we're talking, there's many business owners out there that, that'll be hurting a lot more than we are. And, uh, and many business owners out there that uh, have been on a long journey of struggles. But I would give the encouragement to say the resilience and you are a business owner and you're a small business owner because of who you are. 
And that's at your core. And so never forget your core. You can keep coming back to that. You, this journey on that is, is, is a long one and there's going to be ups and downs. And in, often right now it's more downs than ups, but the ups will come and you've got to work towards those ups. And I think the, the, the optimism, I'm very optimistic about how we come out of this, very optimistic about the economy. And, uh, and I'm not, that's, not from a, that's not a fake optimism. It's a real optimism because, uh, because I see opportunity. Thank mm. you. And we, we see lots of opportunity to support people. So my quick answer, yeah. I'm, I'm small business. We lost 90% of our revenue when we started to work from home and there were no events, so we were impacted dramatically. My yeah. first business was a lawn mowing business in Dubbo when I was 15. I ended up employing my brother as well, so I even learned about yeah. scale as a 15-year-old. I think I was getting <laughs> three bucks an hour. Marky Mark, my brother got a buck, so I yeah, learned yeah. scale. Um, yeah. I, I've worked for global consulting firms. I've worked with national sporting teams, but small business is in, in my veins. So we love talking to people like you. Anna, I love your inspiration. It's been a great conversation today. Uh, so Anna, thank you very much today for your insights and for sharing your son's name. Um, I, I think next time we'll have a bit of a vote about an Australian name. But Craig, thank you for your time. And can I thank you for your authenticity, for your compassion and just for the presence that you turned up today. So you turned up like this was a big match and you gave it everything. So I'm humbled to have spent this last hour with you. No, well, thank you. And thanks for your time. And, and I'd like to talk to you offline because if you're doing mowing lawns for $3 an hour, I'm kind of interested in hiring you. Or well, has that price changed? <laughs> <laughs> I had hair back then. So for anyone who's watching this on video, you'll get the, the visual gag. So no, it may have gone up a little bit with <laughs> no, CPI. Kidding. That's, I'm just kidding. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a lawn to mow. So uh, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. So. Okay, so thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Andrew. Stay well. Thank you. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value, and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit. 